0: This is Square Pizza, cooked up by Sherm Co.
1: Welcome
2: back to the Square Pizza podcast. This week, we interviewed Rachel Tetwaller Fortune, the president of the Jacksonville Public Education Fund, where she leads the organization to help ensure every student in Duval County attends a high-quality school. For those who aren't familiar, Jacksonville Public Education Fund is a research driven independent nonprofit that's working to close the opportunity gap for low income students and students of color in Duval County. Uh, keep on listening to hear Greg and Rachel discuss a whole range of topics, including innovative approaches to partnering and supporting families, how she's adapting and leading through COVID, and if robots will indeed replace teachers. As always, enjoy the episode, and you can also check out the recorded Zoom on YouTube if you're interested.
0: Okay. Rachel Fortune, hello.
2: Hi. Thanks for having me. How are you?
0: I'm good. Welcome uh, to the Square Pizza Podcast Zoom edition. Um, Appreciate you joining. How are things going in Jacksonville today? You
2: know, things are going as, um, as good as they can be. Um, yep. we have a lot of important things going on.
0: Yeah, appreciate that. I think we'll certainly get to that. I think for the people zooming in, you'll you'll talk more about who you are, but um, physically located in Jacksonville. And I think as we as Inshrunco do this work, uh, fortunate to be in Charlotte and North Carolina, but get to know people like yourself in other markets. I'm so excited to kind of dig in and learn more about you, but Jacksonville, Florida today as well.
2: Yes. Now, thank you for spotlighting our our little city, Um, I'd like to call us a big little town, uh, but I'm from here, Um, love it. It's a beautiful, beautiful place.
0: Yeah, well big and like sprawled out, I learned too, right? Like almost second biggest land wise compared to Houston, is that right?
2: That's right, Uh, very uh, spread out. We have bridges at um, all different points of the city. Um, We call it big for that reason. It's also small in terms of just the community feel. Um, if you've been here for any period of time, you probably know um, a lot of people and we all kind of build those relationships. It's a very relational town.
0: What's, can I ask the best part about Jacksonville? And you can't say <laughs> the people since you already said that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, that would have been my answer. Well, you, then can I, you can say it if you want. You <laughs> that and I will say, well, maybe the second thing is just being in the Sunshine State. Um, I personally um, really enjoy being in a place where there's water as well. So to not be landlocked and to be able to go and see the ocean whenever I need, um, that just moment with nature is, um, is a gift.
0: Yeah. I appreciate it. Um, so as you know, we like to start kind of the, the show and the podcast with some fun, get to know you situations a little bit, um, important for us to let the listening audience know that you are also famous. And I've recently named, um, to 40 under 40 of the business journal, I believe in Jacksonville. So sending you some love. Congrats. How was was that experience? Or is that experience I should say?
2: Thank you. I, well, I would certainly not call myself famous, but I do appreciate that. And, Um, I do consider it a real honor to be recognized for um, leading important work that I am so proud of in my hometown. Um, I do care deeply about this city, its young people, and our collective future. So to be recognized in a place and among the people so dear to me is um, very humbling.
0: Well, good. Good for you. Congrats on that. Um, That's awesome. And so I think part part two is we may have a mutual friend in, in Crystal Roundtree. Um, who Who? is currently the executive director of Teach for America, who in Charlotte um, has previously recorded a a square pizza pod with us, but has not yet been released. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this gives you the opportunity, one, to to share any dirt about Crystal that we should know about (laughs) if if yours hits it, hits the market first Mm -hmm. Um, or just anything fun, but tell us how you and Crystal know each other.
2: Yeah. Well, I've um, known Crystal for more than a decade now. Mm -hmm. Um, We actually met when I, Joined Teach for America back in 2008. She was um, Teach for America Jacksonville's first executive director. Mm-hmm. So we um, we proudly claim Crystal. I was um, actually a member of our charter corps, oh, and wow. um, you know she was like a, a mini giant, just helping to launch the education reform movement here. JPEP was actually founded the year after. Um, so you the year know the TFA came to town. That's right, 2009. So there was a lot of just momentum and energy to get some really Phenomenal education organizations in our city, and um, I, I would just say that you know it was a privilege to serve with Crystal and you know under her leadership in Jacksonville.
0: That's cool. She's great and doing incredible work in Charlotte. So to clarify this for people who aren't familiar with the TFA model, so she was the executive director. You were um, a teacher the first year as a core member. Right. Um, so it may or may not be fair to say Crystal was a removed boss slash leader, uh, if, if you will. Is that fair?
2: I think that's absolutely fair. Um, And what I will say um, is that just that experience with Teach for America and uh, with Crystal and the whole TFA family, it um, just had a huge impact on me. Um, I am from Jacksonville, um, Mm -hmm. knew I wanted to have a career in public service, but didn't know what issue area I wanted to focus on. And so, you know, having that opportunity, I actually taught at the school around the corner from where my grandmother grew up. Oh, wow. So it was a very transformative experience for me. And, um, you know, getting to meet great people like Crystal, who um, prior to her move to Jacksonville, it just made such a big difference for her own students up in Atlanta. Yep. Um, it was very inspiring.
0: It was cool. And I think, yeah, let's maybe start there, Rachel, as we dive in. And so, um, you know, we'll get to kind of the incredible work you're currently doing, but knowing that you grew up in, and presumably went to high school in Jacksonville and then came back to teach, like, and you taught what again? High school, middle school, or were you teaching?
2: I taught elementary school.
0: Elementary school. Um, yeah. So talk, maybe if you remember what it was like being in elementary school, I don't from my childhood, but like, <laughs> what was it like kind of growing up in Jacksonville and then, you know, uh, matriculating through the public school system to then coming back and being a teacher in maybe a non-traditional way with an organization like TFA.
2: Sure. And full disclosure, I actually n- never left. So I actually, wow. the first time I moved away from Jacksonville was on the other side of my first stint with JPEF, because this is my mm-hmm. second time with the organization, but um, did also attend undergrad here at the University of North Florida.
0: So it really is oh. the water. You can't get away. It. You can't get away from it.
2: Uh, well, I, let me just, I guess I'll back up to just tell you a little bit about me. Um, oh. So I am the proud uh, parent of two beautiful kids, okay. uh, the first of which is actually 18 now. He
1: wow.
2: is, um, he just graduated from high school and Congrats. is ready to begin college at the University of Florida. Um, I have a beautiful 15-month-old daughter as yes. well. Um, but sort of true to my story and my journey, um, I think that when I think about the things that most inspire me and just uh, put me on this path to wanting to make a difference in this community. It has everything to do with my own upbringing in um, the inner city here. Um, I come from a low income background myself. So, you know, having that opportunity to teach my students um, for me in many respects felt like teaching my family, felt like teaching myself. Um, What I will say is that um, one thing that is really unique about me um, is that I was a young parent as well. Mm -hmm. So my 18-year-old son, I had him when I was 16. And so to help people really understand kind of the arc of my journey and my story, um, I think it's really important for people to know that um, those really intentional choices to kind of stay close to home Um, were very much inspired by him too. And um, I think when I learned of Teach for America coming to Jacksonville, the recruitment team at Teach for America's um amazing
0: <laughs> so if they, were, had, they were intentional about right, the recruiting like, so it's like yeah. whether,
2: whether you knew about the organization um or not and for me you know if it wasn't in jacksonville it probably wasn't on my radar as something that i was considering but, um they were just getting ready to launch the core here and um i just um happened to uh be in my senior year in, in college and sure. Proud to serve as um, student body president at my school at the time, and so mm-hmm. you know they did a great job of, of recruiting me in. Uh, I was actually the second um, African American female to do so. They haven't had one since, and right. so it was um, you did know very barely... student
0: body president at North Florida. That's right. That's oh, right. Good for you.
2: Yeah. No. Thank you. Um, it, you take these moments to kind of just reflect on the journey, and yeah. um, you know those things are um, definitely things I'm proud of. Um, but, you know, because of my son, I um, wanted a, him to grow up, you know, having a relationship with his family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, having that opportunity to go to college here on a full scholarship and then to teach here um, mm-hmm. and then to continue serving here at the Jacksonville Public Education Fund when I transitioned to Jacob the first time, um, all really remarkable opportunities that I'm so grateful for.
0: That's really cool. And- Kind of going back to what you said earlier, interesting as like, you know, we think about some of our work and you two from a systems level sometimes on one day and then uh, on the ground level the next day. But hearing TFA came to Jacksonville a year before JPEF came, imagining maybe some of the, the stakeholders overlap with one or the other. Um, interesting because I would think organizationally in any city, maybe like the baseline type of organization or foundation would come and they would birth an organization like TFA or recruit, but kind of happen in a different order.
2: That's right, um, and it probably won't come as a surprise for people who uh, think highly of the people who uh, choose to serve to teach for America. But my predecessor as president at JPEF is a TFA alum, and so um, <laughs> you know, it's a very um, you know wonderful organization that has people who are both. Um, Inspired to serve in the classroom and beyond the classroom, and right. so um, you know, definitely grateful. I actually met uh, my predecessor in the in my classroom wow. when he was moving here to to begin the organization. And you're absolutely right; lots of common um, uh, stakeholders, mm-hmm. similar funding um, support, or stakeholders who really wanted to move education forward yep. um, were invested in um, organizations like ours.
0: That's great. Good. And so now, we're, you know, we're going to go back and forth a little bit here, but fast forward until today or yesterday with all your career and education, where you currently sit now, leading JPEF. How has the current COVID situation affected your work at all?
2: A great question. So, you know, we at JPEF, we really believe that our mission to help improve educational opportunities and to make sure that students, regardless of their background, have um, the best opportunities possible. um, It's more important now than ever. Um, We've, of course, chipped in as I think... um, Any and everyone who can has Uh, it's an emergency relief efforts to help support local educators and students um, to just make sure they have laptops and other supplies to keep them teaching and learning from home. Mm -hmm. Uh, But longer term, um, our work really remains to use data to inform our investments in school leaders, teachers and parent leaders um, so that the stakeholders who are closest to students and who have the greatest opportunity to drive those uh, improvements, um, have the support and the insights they need to really move students forward. Um, So as far as how COVID has impacted everything, we have actually moved a lot of our supports virtually so, this summer, we're going to be supporting 30 Title I principals to develop robust plans for their schools as they prepare to transition back for the 2020 21 school year. Wow. Um, while so they're
0: entry plans, almost of helping them?
2: Well, um, their school plans. And our hope is to you know, support them in thinking through everything that they have uh, learned about. Um, their students about themselves amidst this pandemic, unfortunately, it's not over yet. And so, you know, um, I know that, unfortunately, because we all have been engaging primarily from a virtual space, they really haven't had a lot of time together. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, while they're with us, um, we'll definitely, Give them the opportunity in typical JPEF fashion to hear from national experts and thought leaders to really inform their thinking and their planning, but also to just give them that sacred space to think about like how things need to look different um, as they try to serve their students who, unfortunately, in many cases will come back a little further behind than usual.
0: That all sounds incredible. One like immediate thought I have is um, and maybe a micro question for us who kind of nerd out in education, but like creating that almost professional learning community for those 30 Title I schools. How is that uh, differentiated or maybe delegated differently than what they're required to do within uh, the the school district, which I think would be a normal or maybe a um, traditional role, I should say, in other communities? How do you guys kind of uh, work with the district on that?
2: It's a great question. Um, And we actually have a very strong partnership with the school district around this um, initiative. We call it the school leadership initiative and actually arrived at the need to provide additional support to principals through that partnership. Um, I very much appreciate this about um, our um, district partners is, you know, just the ability for them to identify, like, here's an area where we actually do have a need and where we would like to see our community partners sort of step up and help us identify some um, innovative ways to, Um, do some things differently in the community Um, and so you know what JPEF does we like to you know invite in additional um, experts expertise Um, I would not say this at all replaces the professional learning that the district already provides to principals Um, but what we have an opportunity to do is to um, really enrich the development that the principals are receiving by connecting them to resources that are not in our community. So we're inviting thought leaders from the Urban Schools Human Capital Academy, from Boston Public Schools. Wow. So really just trying to take a look at what's happening in other places. Um, this is similar to the approach that we have had with the work that JPEF has done over the last 10 years in supporting teachers and you know, other education stakeholders as well.
0: That's really cool. I, um, probably a model other markets should be considering if not, right? I, I imagine you see a lot of cool benefits from that type of partnership.
2: Absolutely. And I will say, I mean, this is just partnership best practice. Right. Um, of course, we were very intentional about putting in place a really clear memorandum of understanding for the partnership so that that could really guide all of our um, our work and um, just make sure that we kind of have a clear plan for Here's what we're trying to do through this. Here's what the district is um, going to, here's the access that they'll provide and the support that they'll provide to make sure that we can um, support in this way.
0: That's great. And I think just for the listening audience, like transitioning a little bit, but still related. So we're recording this on June 3rd, 2020, if I'm getting my dates right. Um, but at least top of mind for me individually as, as a human and a white dude in the space, but also in education is just around uh, George Floyd and the murder in Minneapolis, but then also um, the protests happening now and things across the country. Um, if you feel comfortable would you know, be interested in your perspective on what that means to you as a human, but also as a leader in the space in Jacksonville and across the country.
2: Yeah, no, thank you for that question. Um, and I guess I'll start by just saying that um, I am as disturbed, as heartbroken as um, many people are yeah. about the fact that these incidences are still taking place. And um, as I watched the unfortunate um, incident with George Floyd, um, it just broke my heart. Um, yep. I would respond to that question just as a whole person, um, yep. because I think we bring to the work who we are. And for me, you know, I am a black female who, as I mentioned earlier, grew up um, in a more impoverished area. I happen to be in my 30s. I happen to have been a teen parent. And so, you know, I know all about the interconnected nature of um, social categorizations and um, how they can create overlapping and, you know, interdependent systems of discrimination and disadvantage. And so, you know, I um, am deeply disturbed by um, the challenges that we still have as a country to really move past um, the foundation that was laid uh, when it comes to systemic racism. Um, I feel humbled and privileged to do the work that I do, because um, when I say, you know, that it's our mission at JPEF to help close the opportunity gap, it is very much understanding how those injustices are playing out in the educational system um, that I get to focus my work. And so, you know, as a person, I, um, Am committed to doing any and everything that I can to be um, a voice to be a resource to be an advocate for the changes that are necessary um, to move us forward. And it's going to take all of us. I mean, I mentioned how interconnected these systems are. Mm -hmm. Um, There is no silver bullet, but I do think that if we as a community. really lean into what we're learning from these tragedies we can um ensure that we have a better and far brighter tomorrow
0: yeah i I really appreciate you sharing i think um you know we've it just incredibly disheartening right for for a a number of reasons that, that you so eloquently named um I think one in, in our day-to-day work, like always thinking about how the future of education can be built, but for, from our perspective, and I think likely from yours, can't be built without a focus on kind of how we got here as a country and as a system, but then also just the current systems that exist. Um, so I think that has to be front and center, for, and now so even more, right? I think for, for us and hopefully everybody. Um, I think, two around like individually being vulnerable as a leader, but as a white dude in this space who... Who, who wants to do good work, but also needs to understand the different systems and dynamics at place really important for, for my own personal development and also just for my team as a small business owner and uh, pride ourselves on, on being diverse and, and what our team looks like and believes as well. Um, and, and then also just like how our si- schools can currently help, um, move forward with with rectifying this around anti-racist curriculum, um, cultural competencies in schools for kids and adults, like how, what else can be birthed from this to hopefully make sure nothing like this ever happens again?
1: Yes, spot on.
0: Yeah, Um, we'd love to kind of, you know, with Abby, you spoke to a little bit and know, since we're such a big fan of yours, kind of the really important work you guys do with families as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And we're a little biased with some work we've been fortunate to do here, focus on family empowerment, love the family model and the work you guys do in Jacksonville. So can you, um, can you tell the, the audience about that?
2: Sure. Absolutely. Well, um, at JPEF, we have a long and, um, unique history of, of mobilizing community members on behalf of public schools. Yep. Um, I'll just say from uh, the very beginning, I mentioned that this is my second stint with JPEF. I had the privilege of leading our one by one campaign mm-hmm. where we enlisted volunteers to hold almost 200 community conversations with um, a, 1,000 or so, you know, 1,200 uh, people to define the community's uh, priorities for public schools. And so, you know, really building on that foundation today, um, we have the opportunity to engage education stakeholders at the school, classroom, and family levels. Mm-hmm. Um, We work really closely with uh, the principals, with teachers and parents to help them develop their leadership skills and to connect them with system leaders to advocate on behalf of public schools. Mm -hmm. And so um, for the parent and the family work in particular, we have an initiative that is called Parents Who Lead that allows us to invest in the civic leadership skills of our local parents. Mm -hmm. So we're, you know, not through that work necessarily endeavoring to Um, help parents become better parents for their child, but really trying to activate their potential to be advocates for all children. And so we know that, you know, parents have a very unique and powerful perspective and expertise themselves on what um, is happening with our students and in our schools. Um, So through that work, parents not only participate in a really robust um, curriculum and developmental experience, they're committed to like 20 weeks, they come to a meeting, three hour meeting twenty weeks of the year. Um but better be an they,
0: engaging um, meeting for three hours at a time, right? It
2: actually very much is.
0: Right.
2: They get to hear from, you know, uh elected officials, the media, um, mm-hmm. role play. Um, they're acting as though they're presenting to legislators and things of that nature. Right. Um but it is um, such powerful work. And uh, you know, as a part of that experience, the parents are also expected to um, complete a project that they get to self-select. Um, so it could be addressing implicit bias or trying to advocate for a crosswalk in front of their school. Um, we've also seen the graduates of that program and even participants as they go through the experience really step up and become voices for the issue of the day. Um, And I'll just call out one, for example, we have um, a referendum that thankfully will be on the ballot this November uh, for uh, sales or excuse me, for um, a a tax for our uh, school facilities. Mm -hmm. And so um, we're really excited because the alumni of that program and all of our um, teacher advocacy initiatives and earlier community advocates connected through JPEF uh, Mm -hmm. will now have an opportunity to really Um, build that grassroots support that's necessary to get that that pass unfortunately we have the oldest facilities in Florida right now
0: is that right in Jacksonville wow Um, and so let's like keep on this because this is really interesting um, for me Uh, trying to think that maybe the uh, best question to ask like once families go through and maybe this is uh, a nerd question since we're in the space like how are you evaluating success or like like funneling up to your board or funders around like it's great we have these 20 families every year we kill it we crush it they're great now they move on i know you probably get tough questions you're like what happens after that and i think from somebody who also gets those tough questions we would love to steal your answers if you don't mind um, <laughs> and maybe you're a listening audience too so like talk, how do you guys measure success in that way
2: yeah it's a good question so you know with this kind of work we find it very important to um survey participants to understand their level of civic engagement at the front end of the process okay. and also on the back end of the process. So, I'm right. So whether they have spoken in public forums before the extent to which they feel comfortable doing so after they've been developed in that area yep. and then whether they actually do it. Um, and so, you know, e- not even just kind of post examination, but the year or years after that, really trying to measure how active these people become in some of our other communities. I'll say um, this program is nationally known as Parent Leadership Training Institute. So we're very proud, this is what JPEG does. We bring national best practices to our community. And so we're happy to be the local site of that national program. But they have seen these parents go on to run for school board or to occupy other significant um, seats of influence in their communities. And so that's obviously another indicator of um, success.
0: That's cool. i wondering, too, uh, maybe a tough question, but I don't don't think too tough. Like, I think from our lens, we've seen maybe two main but two focused kind of initiatives on families where sometimes it's like school focused around engagement, Mm -hmm. empowerment. Um, making sure like school is quote unquote turned around a better yep. safer place is doing a better job at like, communicating with me as a parent that we've seen other people approach it um, from a civic lens, a policy lens, which maybe sounds like more is JPEF from our lens, like those and many more are needed. Yes. Um, but wondering like how you see that spectrum or dynamic with the civic compared, like focused on the school level at the same time.
2: I think both and are important. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, what I will say as far as our work in the, the former case, so the sort of school based yep. um, I mentioned earlier that we are supporting school leaders. What I didn't mention is that we're supporting them across four key areas, okay. the, one of which is um, helping them meaningfully engage families and communities. And so that work is very much a part of, um, of what we're doing too. the other three areas, in case you're interested, yeah. building the requisite. Um, school climate and culture for success, helping those principals also develop good practices to attract and retain high-quality educators. And then um, last but not least, we want to invest in them and their own leadership potential. We want them to understand sort of the differences between those management tasks and what it means to really set that um, leadership vision uh, for their school and to really use data to drive improvements.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And it's super intentional and smart knowing that And I'd imagine, too, some of the families that then graduate through the civics um, kind of initiative could come back and support the schools focusing on those families or attend those schools already where the principals are going. So talk about systemic change, serving both the principal and the families are really great.
2: That's exactly right. One of the things that we're really excited to do this year um, as we broaden the number of principals we're supporting through the school leadership initiative is we actually are also going to have um, I hate to, you know, incentives or grant dollars available to parents if they want to do work in those schools in particular. So it allows us to really sort of um, align our work intentionally um, and to get um, even more impact in those schools that we're hoping to prove um, some best practices in so that they can be, those practices then can be brought to scale.
0: I'm with it. I think we've 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 seen we've looked at it with some of the stuff we've done and across the country and there's kind of mixed results around supporting or paying families if they're like a, a contractor of JPEF or the school sure. what that looks like, and very real. Um, not stipulations, but I think just uh, things to consider where if 10 families apply and one gets it, how do I kind of rectify the other nine families are still supported? Yeah and should still be engaged and not feel a certain type of way if they got turned away for a quote unquote job. Um, yeah. But also just the exchange of, of value for dollars as any position or job would, I, I think signifies a lot of respect to families.
2: Yeah. I should clarify that. Um, basically what we're going to do is we're going to provide the grant to the school.
0: Okay. So we have
2: multiple parents who want to um, invest in an area in a school then the good news is that um, hopefully they'll be able to work together um, on that. And, you know, we can kind of consider what the appropriate um, size of that grant should be for that work. But, um, you know, that way we don't want to get into the, you know, paying paying parents to, you know, do these things. We really are investing in the work and in the school.
0: That makes sense. Yep. Um, For the record i'm still thinking about how at some point some people pay families for some of the things they're asking them to do whether it's around task force locally in jacksonville and other places i think sometimes they think it's enough to donate their time um which is but you know we think when uh, we we just seen some innovative models around paying families for what they're worth
2: absolutely um same story is true um we know at just all levels of, of leadership we have this debate all the time around you know school boards and um, yep. you know, how do we really make sure that we have all voices at the table
0: that's right um sounds like you guys are i'm just wondering how like we get jpef to open a, a charlotte a, a, <laughs> a, a staff uh a c a cpef in in charlotte um <laughs> they might, have
2: you you guys don't need us
0: <laughs> might, might be recruiting you yeah yeah good try uh maybe we'll get crystal to run that too um <laughs> This is really cool. So I'm just kind of thinking about the next uh, kind of place to go, but you know, we've kind of talked about COVID. We talked about um, um, some other things, but also the great work you guys are doing like one year, two year, 20 years from now, like what will the future look like if you, in in your world, is it um, a longer school day, a shorter school day with two different sessions? Are we teaching different curriculum? Like given all the vast experiences you've had as, as a a person growing up um, and then now like, What does an ideal public education system look like for you?
2: It's a good question. Um, I think that an ideal education system to me looks like one that is able to meet the needs of every individual student. And so I know that obviously we've had big movements in this country around, you know, personalized learning. Um, I think more of that conversation has happened on the West Coast then I think has made its way fully to the East Coast where I serve. Um, but I am eager and excited for us to really explore how we can do that well. I think um, obviously the coronavirus pandemic is challenging us in new ways to really think about, you know, if we had to do more of this virtual um, reality um, situation, like yep. what would it look like to make sure that every child is indeed being educated? Um, I think that, um, from my perspective, it will be really valuable. We know that students, obviously, from my perspective, virtual learning cannot replace um, school-based instruction. You know, very many students. Um, robots, maybe. No robots. Maybe. You don't <laughs> um, have to agree need with me. Humanity. Yeah.
0: Say that again. You were breaking up. Oh, sorry. I said, I said you don't have to agree. What would you say?
2: About
0: the, you don't have to agree with me about the robots part. If you think robots can replace teachers. Um, Oh, I I do
2: not think that. You know, one of the things that I have um, learned through my work is that caring adults 100% matter. In addition to supporting young people to meet their academic goals and um, to achieve Um, those out those types of outcomes we have to meet the social and emotional um, needs of students as well Mm
1: -hmm. unfortunately
2: I have yet to hear about a robot that can do that well (laughs) and so (laughs) we need to kind of pay attention to the whole child and um, you know my hope is that um, if if in the future you know, kind of a, you know, hybrid types of options become uh, more available, that we're able to differentiate um, based on the needs of students and um, that we can make sure that we attend to the whole needs of all students.
0: That's great. And I think like we, in, in our work, like to get into the the details too, but like the the how, and so no, it's a, it's a super multifaceted conversation. I'm going to ask you to answer this in an unrealistic way, but just humor us, if you will. Um, so like then what would it take to get us there? If you could choose one thing, would it be Foundation stepping up and, and giving a blank check would it be getting rid of school boards or adding more school boards? Know that you're have some stakeholders here, um, but just curious as like what it takes to 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 actually move the needle in public education. Um, what would you say?
2: Um, my simplistic answer is going to be um, the varied types of resources. So I think we obviously need the monetary means to, you know, innovate in schools the way that we need to. Um, Unfortunately, in states like ours, you know, funding for education often is short shrift, especially in the crisis moments. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very hopeful that um, we won't see significant cuts for education uh, during this moment. Um, But beyond that, it's not just about monetary resources, it's also about like human resources. And so how do we really help ensure that the people who are closest to the students, have the insights that they need to deliver instruction to students, and not even just the insights, but also the uh, influence, Mm -hmm. right? So if school leaders um, are the best for their school community, which hopefully you're getting good people and putting them in those positions, once they're there, how do we really support them to um, meet the needs of their students since they know them the best?
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, thinking back what you said earlier, too, just around Jacksonville and facilities, like the, the CDC recommendations around COVID, right, were around possibly having students' desks be six feet apart, uh, only one student per bus seat, um, which a, a school district like Jacksonville probably don't have enough buses to run multiple shifts. Schools don't have the physical space or facilities to um, literally space kids out unless we're putting them in the cafeteria, or the gym, or the hallway. And I think oftentimes what we've seen in maybe education, but also just larger bureaucratic systems is like the recommendations and policies don't meet the actual day to day of of life in those schools. Right. And especially now layering a global pandemic on top of that, like squaring that puts people like you, but also school leaders and school districts in a really tough position to be successful.
2: Absolutely. I mean, uh, I've, often say, I haven't seen anything like this in, in my lifetime, but there are people far older than me who have not seen this in their lifetime. So, you know, I believe this is absolutely a game changer. Um, and I, I think that um, the language has shifted. I think, thankfully, for most people, we're not waiting to get back to normal. Mm-hmm. I think we realize that we're trying to determine what a new normal looks like. Um, and, you know, even though we haven't arrived at all the the, the, the answers yet, um, I think we have raised a lot of very important questions and unfortunately to your point what's happening in some you know at the the national level the policy conversation does not necessarily always translate to
1: um
2: reality on the ground and so um i think that we're really at the very beginning of um of learning and determining you know how we can uh, best meet the needs of students and to make sure that when they do go back in the fall we don't know if the pandemic is going to come back. Um, I mean, first of all, it hasn't left yet, but (laughs) 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 we don't know if, um, you know, we're going to see a significant uptick in cases or deaths that's going to cause us to, you know, have people go back and just um, engage completely virtually again. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, right now, what I have is a lot of um, questions and curiosities and I'm eager to partner with, um, People who are, you know, grappling with these things uh, from a macro level at districts, at the state level, um, but also um, with those who are really confronting the challenge at the micro level. So at the school level.
0: Yes, to all those things. I'm, just, I'm thinking a number of things and trying to be logical here. I think one, um, thinking back to again to like it, it just connects with the great work you guys are doing with families because who. Has more of the answers, or the actual answers of how to support families. And the, right now, during the midst of a global pandemic, than families. So, you guys being able to tap into that current and alumni network, plus in addition to principals, I think is so incredible. Um, so, kudos to you guys for that. And the other thing I'm thinking about was we previously had um, Sil Gonzo, an executive director from a really prominent after school program here in Charlotte, focused on um, immigrant and refugee children. She's from uh, Venezuela. I hope I'm hoping that remembering that right uh but she was talking about how they normally in schools in venezuela go in shifts anyways and so we'll go from 7 to 11 and then take a break and then school empties gets clean and now it's one to five for the next and seems like uh, you know i don't think ever really happened in america but given the global pandemic and maybe we could argue maybe the school day doesn't need to be eight nine hours interesting if that's a real solution moving forward in our country
2: yeah and i think you raise a very good point about um, learning from other people who have tried things in different ways, uh, particularly if they've experienced, have experienced some, some very measurable and demonstrative success. Um, obviously, and, and sadly, this has been a global situation. And so, um, you know, I'm personally curious to see what um, our, our um, folks in, in Europe and other parts of the world are you know, going to do um, as they get ready to go back to school as well
0: yeah yeah okay gonna uh, get you out of here on a few hopefully fun and rapid-fire questions um, if we asked you what is the most innovative thing you're seeing in public education you could be biased and talk about some of your work uh, you can talk about international models or anything else across the country but would love as like a leader in your position what you've seen what really excites you well
2: this is um you know I, I could Um, Toot JPEF's horn um, all day. I'm very proud of the work that we do. One thing that I'm very passionate about that I want to see more of is actually, um, you know, really empowering young people, students to, you know, help drive the change that we desire in their own communities. And so, you know, I've spent some time myself thinking about you know, how do we really um, tap into those um, just very localized um, insights and passions that young people have um, to help them arrive at the solutions that we need for the future. I think we've seen over the last few years, uh, parents, uh, students really step up in very powerful ways in the policy space too. Um, so, you know, just, I'd love to see, you know, kind of de- design thinking type sessions and creative um, formats to allow young people to um, help us craft the vision for the future.
0: Is that is that a new program I'm hearing? Maybe coming from JPEP soon.
2: We will have to see. Um, it's definitely something that's in in uh, in Rachel Tutwiler Fortune's head.
0: <laughs> good. good, good, good. Like it. Um, and as always, the most important question of of any meeting. Uh, what does Square Pizza remind you of? <laughs>
2: That is a good question. Um, the very honest answer to that question is Pizza Hut in my childhood. Oh, uh, they was, had pizza
0: pizza Hut
1: was square in Jacksonville?
2: They had, they had pizza in all shapes and sizes. And um, you know how you can get, uh, you know, they have, you know, they call it the box. Yep. Um, so, you know, I think that's probably the answer I would have to that question. <laughs>
0: Like it. So then, like, the follow-up is, like, did they serve it in schools? Because what we're learning as we ask this question is the answer is changing regionally, the, oh, really? even in public schools.
2: Um, so they did sell pizza in schools. I don't know about Pizza Hut, um, but uh, that was kind of my go-to pizza place as a, as a was kid. Was it,
0: like, at the school, was it, like, the rectangular pizza that fit inside the tray?
2: Nah, it was just, it was just a slice in school. <laughs> really?
0: So interesting how it changes – we're to start like going up the food chain, talking about like cafeteria contractors in different states and like their philosophy on triangle or square pizza. I think.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I love um, that. <laughs> interesting, nonetheless. Hopefully, uh, Rachel, where can people find you, holler at you, Twitter you? Uh, where do you want people to find you at?
2: Yeah. Feel free to um, fo- you know follow me on Twitter. I'm yep. at Rachel Tutwiler. That's R-A-C-H-A-E-L cool. T-U-T-W-I-L-E-R. Um, visit us at jpef, www.jaxpef.org. Cool.
0: Yeah, we'll put all that um, in the show notes. Any any final words or thoughts you want to leave the people with?
2: Just thanks for the opportunity. Um, you know, if um, if folks are in the Jacksonville area and really looking for an organization that is focused on the data, focused on really leveraging research to try to move the needle in public education, please look us up. Um, We do a lot of work to really convene stakeholders and to support them to that very end. And so, you know, just encourage and uh, invite anyone to engage with us at any time.
0: Cool. Well, uh, I'm biased since you're joining our podcast, but thank you for your work. Thank you for who you are as a human. um, And we appreciate you. Hey guys, this is Greg. Thanks again for checking out the podcast episode. Uh, Feel free to show us some love on social media at Shermco, S-C-H-E-R-M-C-O, and hashtag SquarePizzaPod. Stay in touch for the next episode.